0: Imagine when you use real tomatoes and tomato paste, and like you don't douse it in sugar, or douse it in sugar and salt. And look, I'm not a, I'm not opposed to either. In uh, you know, within some reason, our taste buds and our palate uh, has been augmented to sort of like to crave sugar. Look, and sugar's highly addictive. It's extraordinarily cheap as an ingredient. It's used as a filler in almost everything that we eat today. And, and so, um, yeah, food companies know that and they know how addictive it is. And so they've, they've basically, you know, adjusted our palates. And I think when you start to remove it and you go, oh, wow, this is what real food tastes like.
1: Welcome to Winning at Work, the podcast for foodies. Founders and food and beverage professionals. You know, if you wanted to discover a new brand, a new food or beverage to try, there are literally thousands of companies out there. It is very difficult to do that. That's why we curate the different, the better, and the special brands here each and every week. So you don't have to do the heavy lifting. If you're a founder and you're looking to connect with other like minded executives, we make that very easy. And if you just work in the food and beverage industry and you're looking for fresh inspiration, We have that here in spades. This
0: episode is sponsored by Temple. Congratulations. You're selling in retail, but the competition is fierce and your brand is surrounded by similar products. How will consumers find you? Let Temple show you an innovative retail sales solution. Click on the attract consumers link below. Need to attract great employees? Click on the hire now below, and we'll show you how to use your culture to help you stand out. Stay tuned for this
1: week's episode. Welcome to Winning at Work, everybody. It is Tony, and a lot of the smaller, mid-sized brands that I have been speaking to—they have one or two SKUs. Maybe they have one product of uh, multiple flavors. Uh, they've just gotten into retail or in grocery, or maybe they're. Um, kind of expanding the footprint into food service. But what I really like about the conversation you're going to listen to today, um, we've got Jason Burke, he's CEO. Um, or is it New Primal or should we say New Primal and Noble Made? I guess I'm confused already. You know, not a good start for your <laughs> podcast host. That's okay.
0: The The company <laughs> is the New Primal. Uh, that is the corporate entity. But we do have a, a, a sub-brand out of the New Primal called Noble Made. So it, it's, it's both. And I understand why it's confusing. We've recently kind of pulled these apart, so I can totally understand that.
1: Okay, I thought. Wait a minute. Do I do I announce you as the new primal, or do I do noble maid? Um, I really love the noble maid because you got the beautiful owl. It's just it's beautiful. Um, But what I really like about what uh, you guys are going to be hearing today is Jason is the entrepreneur that you can look to in the sense that he's been at this now for eleven years. And, you know, he started in, in jerky and uh, meat sticks, kind of went with the grass-fed, pasture-raised, soy-free, paleo-friendly, you know, real low sugar, um, really good. By the way, great sample box. Loved, loved it. We were all tearing into them. They're great snacks on the go. I think, that's, I think you've done a nice job with that. And I think the success from that enabled him then to move into uh, Whole30-approved sauces and marinades. So I think what you're going to find interesting here is the, the evolution of uh, a small brand not being so small now and having national distribution. So we're going to have a lot of interesting um, conversation around, you know, how he's supporting multiple brands or, or categories and SKUs all across the country. It gets much more complicated. Jason, thank you for taking time out. You've just moved you've got a new product launching i mean what the heck you know don't you where's family and all you know i don't like to i don't like to do things
0: um the easy way apparently uh now i mean listen the kids kids started school um a few weeks ago we're we're rocking and rolling yeah
1: like there you
0: go off to school thank you we'll see you at three yeah that's it that's it rocking and rolling I, i i dropped them off this morning so It's the best feeling. It's like, you love
1: summer and then it's like, Oh, I can't wait to just drop them (laughs) off.
0: (laughs) They need it too. They start to, there's only so much you can do. And then, and then they need the, they need a little bit more structure in their day. So
1: yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. And they kind of look to us, you know, for the plan for the day and it gets a little, it gets a little exhausting. Um, So I have to say, look, the sample box that we got was loaded and um. What I I love about your your sauces and your marinades is that you lead with this beautiful owl, noble made, wisely made with noble ingredients. And you're obviously hitting the uh, low sugar, really, you know, really strong keto. Um, But I want to read something. uh, It's your mission. And I'd love you just to kind of expand on this. Um, a few truths from my mother's kitchen. Simple meals mean more time together. Good meals spark lively conversation. And great meals fill, heart, fill hearts. We crafted these irresistible sauces and seasonings from simple, good-for-you ingredients in the noble effort to help families make a return to the table. Join us. What a great, simple, heartfelt you know mission.
0: Yeah, you know Tony, the the genesis of that or the evolution of the of that statement um, occurred over time and you know I would back in like 2008 or 2009 both of my parents got sick and both were diagnosed with chronic illnesses both directly related to diet and nutrition. And so I took a real keen interest in food and its impact on our health holistically. And the big takeaway there is, is like, I learned how to cook and, 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 you know, not in a way that like, you know, I wouldn't consider myself some sort of gourmet chef or anything like that. I'm not classically trained, but I can, I can make a weeknight dinner and it tastes really good and it can be good for you. Right. And, and so I learned how to cook and what I was attempting to do, I have this terrible sweet tooth. And so what I was attempting to do out of my corporate day job was, um, stay away from like the afternoon candy bars and, I would make like homemade desk snacks and I would take trail mix and I would take boiled eggs and I would take homemade beef jerky and, and, and a few others. It was the beef jerky though, that kept disappearing out of my desk. And every time I'd get up and and go to a meeting, my buddies would, you know, steal my beef jerky and I was, you know, and, and like, I was like, I was sourcing my meat from like a local farmer and it was all grass fed beef. And like I was using this high quality, you know, seasonings and things. And I was making my own, my own jerky without, you know, the stuff that you find in the gas station. stuff. Yeah. The
1: commercial side of it. Yeah.
0: And, and so it was good. I mean, I, Good enough to kind of hold me over and satiate me throughout the day without going to the the candy bars, and um, but but it kept disappearing. And this stuff's hard to make, so I put a tip jar out and I started making people pay me for it, and um, and they did. They started putting sticky notes with ten dollar bills and twenty dollar bills on it and dropping it in my tip jar, and then suddenly I was getting orders from from these folks and
1: that's crazy so
0: i was you know i was going home
1: literally had a startup puzzle inside your corporate yeah it
0: was it was crazy and 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 was my you know our my manager knew all about it she'd be like hey can i get some too and you know so it was like a little thing (laughs) um you know at one point it got a little bit sketchy because i would like roll up with like you know bags of of jerky and i would exchange it for cash like with my buddy in the parking lot it looked really sketchy (laughs) right it
1: kind of looked like you had another operation going there right
0: but but nonetheless one one dehydrator grew to six my wife comes home from a girls night out tells me i got to get all the stuff out of our kitchen everything we have smells like smoke everyone thought she had just come from a barbecue and um, (laughs) and so that was sort of this aha moment where like are we on to something and so the long and short there, and I can, we can tell all sorts of stories about the middle, but you know, September of 2012, I quit my day job. I went full-time into the meat snacks business, um, really with just a ton of blind enthusiasm. I just knew that there wasn't an offering in retail that matched the quality and the ingredient specifications that I had put together. And people were ordering this stuff from me online already. People were buying it from me locally. Um, and so we had enough going on where I felt like this thing had legs. Um, if I fast forward through, you know, five years into that, um, my mom passed away and um, I, what what my mom was, a well, my mom was like a, a, not a classically trained chef either, but she was an incredible cook and she dropped out of school as a teenager and went to work in this Italian restaurant with this family that had all these heirloom recipes and really found her, her people in the kitchen of this restaurant and found her calling in serving people. And she loved to cook for you. Um, and, you know, she also has these Hispanic roots. Her, her father was, uh, from, she sounds from, wonderful. From I,
1: I read the story. Yeah.
0: yeah. She sounds absolutely wonderful. You know, and, and well, I appreciate that she was. And, and so, you know, she was the the go to. So she loved to cook. She loved to serve people. And, and you know, I grew up in this little apartment, and and people from all walks of life would come together around our table, and you know, it, it didn't matter like what socioeconomic status they were they were in, or, or it didn't matter like sort of what their religious beliefs or their political affiliations or any of those things it didn't matter. Just came together around my mom's table pretty frequently. But it wasn't until she passed till it all hit me, and I was given the eulogy at her funeral, and. Um, I and there was about 350 or so people at this at the funeral, and and I asked anyone that she had ever made a meal for to stand, and the whole place rose to their feet, and like like I couldn't talk for the next five minutes. Like I just I had to like oh my god, like it was Your just like probably just closed uh, on you. It completely closed. I had chills. Like you know, it, it just I just couldn't speak. And in that moment, it hit me that that that's legacy. And what she was a master at was community and connection and curating community and connection around the dinner table. And so I thought, holy smokes, I'm in the food business. And not only do I make snacks, but I've evolved over into this other side where we make sauces and seasonings and things that allow people to cook together. And then it all came together and I went, oh, my God. I have an opportunity to really build on that legacy of helping people, you know, make healthy meals and spend more time around the table together. Because let's let's face it, Tony, the most impactful, meaningful moments in our lives likely happen while we're breaking bread together. I mean, like and I think. We've lost a lot of that as a culture, as a Western culture. You oh know? yes, food is like oh, a, it's yes. always like the it's like I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to do this, I got to do that, and like I'll eat in between. And instead, and
1: one of those things might have
0: been the food where you're just running to go get it. That's right. And so it's 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 one of those things where if, if we can inspire uh, a return to the table, and and if we can inspire and and empower people with. Clean, easy seasoning blends and sauces that look, you don't have to be a master chef in the kitchen. You just dump this stuff on this protein and, you know, uh, shake, 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 rock and roll and sit around the table and, and just break bread and bond. And, and I, you know, that was something that, again, it didn't hit me until five years into launching a food business that, um, that was my entire childhood. Like I witnessed this every single day. And people would come over every single day, and I watched people cry together, and laugh together, and argue, and hug, and and it didn't matter what their backgrounds were. And I just watched humans connect, and I think that that is at our in our DNA and in our most primal, um, in our most primal parts of our of our body. Like we crave that, and
1: we crave community, we crave connection. Um, and, uh, we do, unless you're a really strange kind of in, introvert. But I mean, that that's a there's fewer of those. I think I
0: think so. I think so. So anyway, so that's when you read that mission and that's a really long story. Sorry. Uh, But when you read that mission, I mean, I I think it's important to to know sort of the, the genesis of like how we started a company and then how it evolved and then sort of how it all came together to sort of, you know, serve this greater mission beyond like, hey, let's you know, we make low sugar snacks and pantry staples that still taste good. Right. And and like but beyond that, like if we can inspire people to come back to the table. And empower them to do so. It's just a much bigger, bigger mission uh, that, that I'm proud to be a part of.
1: I, honestly, I do think that's what's needed. And the fact that you said your mother basically was blind to who was walking in her home, which is what your heart should be doing. You shouldn't care. You just shouldn't care. If people have a need, you, you need to meet that need. And you bring them in and you feed them, you nourish them what a wonder, that's just, that's an atmosphere. You're creating an atmosphere for people to bond together. And unfortunately, it seems like today's society, they're trying to pull everyone apart and say, we're all separate and we're all different. And it's like, no, you know, that's right. That's right. We're not. That's right. No. (laughs) I mean, we are, we are, but in spite of that, we can still come together and break bread. That's right. And I think when you, you know, when you
0: lose that connection, right, that's when you when, when we can create lots of division, right? We can get behind our keyboards and behind our phones and we don't realize that there's another human on the other side of that conversation. But if someone's sitting right in front of you, you start to realize that, man, what connects you and I, you know, 95% is is the same, right? We might disagree exactly. on a few things or whatever, but it doesn't matter. We can still be friends. Um, and, and so I, I, that was the, you know, again, none, I, I didn't realize any of this until I was much older, but that was the beauty of, You know, I can talk about like all the deficits I had in my childhood. Like, you know, we grew up in this government housing, the Section 8 apartment. And, you know, my family's really blue collar and no one finished school. And, you know, I can go into this sort of like, oh, woe is me kind of thing. But then as I look back, I'm like, holy man, what a gift, like what a gift I was able to witness where, you know, about three o'clock, four o'clock in the afternoon people started just walking in our door. I mean, and it could have been a neighbor. It could have been an aunt. It could have been a cousin. It could have been someone from an, you know, an old family friend. That's really unique. It was, and it was extremely you unique. You don't get
1: that in suburbia.
0: No. No, and I live in suburbia now.
1: No. Right. You know, you're not getting that. Everyone's got their – everyone has the means and the wherewithal, and they all go to their own homes. And You have to literally plan we're going to go to your house on such and such a night rather than – we're going to have a community gathering place. You know, I would think that these these products and these sauces and marinades, particularly on the Noble Maid side, it really lends uh, itself to uh, if we could shift for a minute into that user generated content, where people can show and highlight, you know, how they're using it, how they have kind of unlocked some new recipe secrets and things like that. Because I think people like to see how food is being used. Sure and it kind of it kind of sparks the creativity totally has that helped the the brand in some ways yeah 100 percent. so you know when we launched grass-fed beef
0: jerky and i think we were the first i don't know that anyone else was doing it maybe outside of a local farmer's market but i think we were the first to push into retail with a a grass-fed beef jerky product and um you know that's it it was it was needed i mean the category was disgusting and it needed someone to come clean it up but you know User generated content, you know, and sharing that is it only goes so far. It's the road trip. It's the backpacking trip. It's out on the fish, you know, fishing, you know, maybe you put it in a lunchbox snack, you know, that kind of thing. And then that's it. Like, what else are you going to do? But, but yeah, I mean, you've got a marinade or a cooking sauce or some sort of dipping sauce, like the possibilities are endless and people are really creative. And, and, and I mean, I've been inspired by what other people do with sauces that we make and I'll go make it, I'll see someone post something on social media. Yeah, I'm going to go try that. And, and usually it's really good. We actually launched a product last month inspired by user generated content where people were, you know, we make a low sugar barbecue sauce and we make a we make a really clean label buffalo sauce and and people were combining the barbecue sauce with the buffalo sauce mixing it together as like a kind of like a sweet and spicy sauce oh. and they were you know using that to put on their on their barbecue and um And so like somebody in our office said, we should try that. And I thought, man, this is kind of strange. And we did. And holy, it is really good. It's good. Really good. It's good. So last month we launched that at Sprouts um, or actually last, we're in September now. So in July, we launched that at Sprouts. We watched a a Buffalo barbecue sauce. And, uh, and so, you know, we decided to, Voila. voila, there you go. So that's right. It does lend itself to, to UGC, um, much more than like meat snacks would.
1: Now, I got to say, too, what I really liked about the uh, less sugar ketchup, a couple things. When you're consuming a lot of the commercial products, there's so much sugar in there, you, you really, you've, you've become accustomed to tasting the sugar and not understanding really what you're tasting or what the other food is there. What I mean is when you take the sugar out, you really get to highlight and taste the actual ingredients. Yes. And we, I, I've, I have found a wonderful uh, hamburger that I love. And I'm now, I, and I order these hamburgers online just because they're just fantastic. The blends that they use, and they don't really need much on them at all. But I started putting this less sugar ketchup on it. Your less sugar ketchup literally tastes like almost like a, I don't want to say a, a, a marinara, but it's pretty darn close. Well, it's so zesty and tomatoey. Yeah, well, if that's a word, tomato well, Tomatoey <laughs> is. We'll, we'll make it a word right now.
0: <laughs> when you when you uh, imagine imagine when you use real tomatoes and tomato paste and like you don't douse it in sugar or douse it in sugar and salt and look, I'm not a I'm not opposed to either in uh, you know within some reason, um, but we have been our taste buds and our palate. Uh, has been augmented to sort of like to crave sugar. Look, yes. and sugar's highly addictive. It's extraordinarily cheap as an ingredient. It's used as a filler in almost everything that we eat today. And and so, um, yeah, food companies know that and they know how addictive it is. And so they've, they've basically, you know, adjusted our palates. And I think when you start to remove it – and you go, oh wow, this is what real food tastes like.
1: Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. You said it so much better than me. They have engineered our palate. That's right, absolutely. And now we crave that
0: crap. That's right. When when we launched grass fed beef jerky, the the leading jerky in the um in the in the stores at the time had uh, ten grams of sugar per ounce. And it's supposed to be a protein snack. And so those bags come in in three-ounce bags typically. And so there was 30 grams of sugar in a bag of beef jerky when we launched this stuff. And that's the equivalent of three Krispy Kreme glazed donuts. And I go, you know what? If I want sugar, I'm going to eat the donut. If I want the protein snack, I want to eat the protein
1: snack. Three, I mean, wow. So talk about – that's a visual. yeah. So ten grams is one of those uh, glazed. Ten grams of
0: sugar, glazed donut, rock and roll, and 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 yeah. Why go? What? Yeah. Why eat a meat snack? Why? What's the point? Like you're you're completely defeating the purpose. But well, because in, in the dirty secret of meat snacks is not the preservatives, it's not the salt, it's not um, it's not even the uh, industrialized meat. It's the sugar because the sugar increases the yield of the finished product, which increases gross profits. And I'm not against profit. I think, you know, I think everyone needs to make some money, but, um, but that's the the dirty secret in meat snacks and why, uh, why so that's much how you can used. stretch it. Yeah. You stretch that meat out by adding lots of sugar.
1: <clears throat> well, thank you for the, for, for the insight. So hopefully people will, and I think they are keep looking on the back of the label now. If you don't understand what's on the back of the label, you keep going. I mean, that's really how it should be. Unless you're just in a pinch and there's nothing else around, but of course, the argument is plan ahead, buy some things, yeah. stock your pantry. Yeah. Look, and there's no there's no judgment. I think that you
0: know a decade ago there were less better for you options available to you. Today, there's a lot more. Uh, we're you know, and I think at scale and as all of these sort of emerging brands who are trying to do the right thing continue to grow and scale, you know, I think that you'll see prices. Uh, level out as well i mean the, the fact of the yes. matter is is that you know when you put when you put products in glass jars instead of plastic jars like it there's a there's a premium to that when you of course don't add a bunch of sugar to the ketchup um, and you use real ingredients you have to use more of the real ingredients there's a premium to that to, today to fill the jar yeah that's the way that that works
1: well you have to start really in my opinion in sort of that luxury slash natural category. I mean, yeah. those are the people who are looking for it. They understand they don't want all the plastics and that's true. I mean, I didn't even really think about it at first, but you're right. These are all glass. Yeah. You're right. They're not in, in the plastic, which that's another issue, you know, yeah. in and of we get, it have, itself. We get I mean, a whole it, podcast you know, on that. We get a whole and we have, we have, and we, we've <laughs> really got in mean, and we've really hit the plastic stuff pretty hard. A lot of great entrepreneurs that are trying to solve that problem right now. There's some really cool things out there. Um, you should check out Strawfish. That's a really cool company. They're um, they're using marine products, turning them into single disposable uh, straws and cutlery. Awesome. Love it. They're just to- totally doing away with plastic. It's really it's Love a the great, great technology. Love it. Yeah, it's, re- it's very cool. Um, with all the different products that you now have in categories, let's talk a little bit about your your sales and marketing strategies, okay, to get consumers into trial? Yeah. You know, it's, uh,
0: first of all, <laughs> the easiest, well, I shouldn't say the easiest, the The easier part of the job is to get a retailer to carry a product. Um, now, that's not easy, but it's the easier part, to call on a retailer, to present a product that you've created, and to convince them to put it on the shelf. And usually that comes with a fee. So you've got to have the money to fund the slotting fees or the placement anyway. Um, and then the, the, the more difficult part is then to get attention on the shelf when there's 50,000 products in the store um, or yep. get attention on online when everybody is vying for that attention. And so I, it's, it's, it's really, really hard. Let's, let's just say, let me just say that first. Um, It's a combination of things, but for for us, I think, you know, in brick and mortar retail, you have to, you have to enroll in the programs that make sense for each retailer. And so, you know, I grew up in Florida, down in Florida, the, 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 the biggest grocery chain down there is Publix and Publix is known for a few things that are kind of cult-like for them, but Publix is big on their BOGOs, and they run these one- Oh, BOGOs, I was going to say, they've got to be BOGO and like, yeah. and like, you know, the Publix consumer knows to look for those, they look for these great ideas, these great offerings, and I think you, know, you have to sort of play in that, play that game, at least initially. So you have to spend some money on trade uh, to market your product to the Publix consumer, for example. Um you don't have to run bogos everywhere, but that is just sort of like a cult thing that Publix is really, really popular for. And they're short. They're not like this month long thing. It's like, Hey, one week, get it and go. And that, that typically can assist with like generating lots of trial. And ideally um, if you make a really good product, trial leads to repeat purchases. So you need to make the investment in trial. So we do that. Um, So I, I think that the point there is, is that in, you know, depending on the retailer, we look to partner with them, um, and all their various kind of shopper and trade marketing plans to help generate trial. We're still an emerging brand. You know, we've got placement in thousands of stores nationally, but I still consider ourselves very much emerging and lots of people still don't know who we are. And so you have to to invest in the things that generate trial at the point of purchase. And I think that's the same online. And so for us, we've just found that as opposed to trying to kind of fight for everyone's attention on social media, not that we don't have a presence there, but we're not spending a lot of ad dollars there. Um, we spend it at the point of purchase. So, you know, we have a really large presence on Amazon people are on Amazon, their wallets are open, they're already shopping, they're already looking for certain things. And so we would just want to make sure that, you know, we're doing everything we can to funnel uh, the attention um, of the brand towards people.
1: So when people are shopping for a particular item on Amazon, you can pay to have your product placed and popped up and, hey, people typically buy this. It would make sense, particularly for a lot of the, right. the beef jerky and things like that. Like yeah. and, and very, any kind of camping gear, that's for right. example. That's right.
0: Get, that's right. And very similar to and very similar on, on the other sort of shopping apps, like on the Instacarts of the world. Right. And and I'm not looking to trade you up from you know, on barbecue sauce, I'm not looking to trade you up from Sweet Baby Ray's. dollar $1.99 and it's, you know, 72 grams of sugar or whatever the number is. You know, I'm not going to trade you up per se right from there. But if you're looking for barbecue sauce or if you're looking for a natural barbecue sauce or, you know, low sugar or less sugar something like that, you're going to find me and I'm going to make sure that all of our, you know, we've got ad dollars funneling towards helping you find us. Uh, and then I don't think anything in food beats demoing. I still don't, you know, it's, it sort of had, there a, you, it, go. It, you know, uh, COVID sort of threw a huge monkey wrench in like the idea of sampling and demoing and, it, and it's far more difficult today than it was then. Um,
1: but let's I, talk about that. Yeah. Cause that's something I'm really passionate about. Um, talk to me a little bit about your demo programs and what works, how do you find your ambassadors? Are they, are they just, are they fans? Are they, are they paid? What's I know you have an affiliate program maybe we can talk a little bit about that too yeah, but yeah. let's start with the demos and, and the uh, ambassador programs well it, there's nothing better
0: than letting somebody try your product I mean people don't like this particularly when something is, is priced at a premium um, to, to standard conventional offerings people don't want to you know make that investment unless they know it's going to be good and so you know they need to try it so I, I, I think that it, holistically it's, it's super necessary uh, ambassadors have always been, have always come from fans. And I don't think there's any better person to tell the story than someone who's already consuming the product, who already likes it, who's really passionate about it. Um, and yeah, we usually, we pay everybody who's going to do a demo for us. We make sure that they get paid. Um, now some places like for example, Costco, where, where we've done a few rotations, they have their own internal program. They have their own internal people. You can't send in an ambassador to do it. Like you have to use their systems, their structure, their programming. and And so you can make suggestions on like you know, how to pair products and things like that, but, um, you have less control. And then there's some other retailers where, you know, early in our business, uh, I mentioned Publix earlier, so I'll just stay on that train. Um, you know, we, our first big win was Publix and we had 300 stores selling our beef jerky and, and, and me and my partner drove around, um, and we would do like three demos a day each at different public stores. And we would just go for two hours, pass out samples, tell people about the product, get them excited, move to the next door. And we did that like for two years. Like it was like every weekend, was like a Publix weekend. And so we spent tons of time just telling (laughs) the story. And so, yeah, we need ambassadors to do that. I, you know, that doesn't scale, right? I mean, I can't just personally be in the, and I still, I'll still show up. I mean, don't get me wrong, but it doesn't scale, right? I can't reach. There's only one of you. Yeah, so, you know, you have to have folks that are, really, uh, passionate about the, uh, about the mission and who also are already users of the product. So I'm a big believer in it. It's more difficult to navigate today, but, um, but we sort of have to outcreate those challenges as we go. And then, you know, you mentioned the affiliates, you know, on the same thing, those ambassadors sort of usually extend into affiliates who go online and talk about your products, who list their, list your products. And they're like my go-tos or my favorites or, you know, whatever it might be. And they're really, really important to us because, you know, I I don't think anything is as as powerful as user-generated content. I don't think anything is as powerful as, you know, a trusted voice giving you a suggestion. And so, you know, the affiliates do that for us and and they send people our way and they direct people our way. And we, you know, we try to direct funds back in their direction when they do that.
1: How do you attract either the ambassadors or affiliates? The beauty is there are... (sighs) There are, um, there's great, like, you know,
0: there's great software developers who have created systems to, to build affiliate programs, uh, and, and structures and things like that. But, um, most have come from, yeah, I mean, they've kind of come from networking. I mean, people who already go online and like, they'll post about us on Instagram or they'll post about us on TikTok or somewhere. And, um, you know, we'll connect with them on social and say, Hey, would you, you know, wh- why don't you just, you know, sign up. tagging yeah, you, you're already tagging us, just sign up for our affiliate program. So you get paid for it. That makes sense. Yeah. And so it, it's really, there's nothing that we do kind of outward. I, I don't think we, we sort of like, we don't go out and look for, we usually just wait and find the people and there's plenty of it. And so when the people who are sort of authentically already tagging us, um, you know, we want to connect with them.
1: When well, you can look at their content, you can see what they're posting. That's right. That's right. Is it, is it uh, tasteful? Does it, you know, kind of fit with your brand image and does it fit with building this family, you know, back around the table? That's exactly If right. it's in the case of, of, noble maid and the sauces. That's right. I think it's great. Um, what has not worked I mean, when you think, <laughs> <laughs> when you think back over the 11 years and all the money and the horrible things, let's try this. What, what are some things that maybe you could steer some of those early entrepreneurs from? <laughs> blowing a lot of cash oh man you know
0: there's, there's a few, where do we start yeah i mean we could again this is like a six hour conversation um <laughs> you know I, I think there's a couple of things that really stand out early on though um i think we let perfect get in the way of good a lot um and so we delay we delay things because they're not good enough yet so like we delay the product launch we delay the we can't do this until the new website goes up we can't do that until we have this new label we can't and so i think like we really get in our head with this sort of like fear of failure or or maybe even like a perfectionism sort of mindset and so i think like i think it's much better to just start and just know that like the first iteration of something's not going to be the best and just know that you can keep improving as you go uh so i think that's a big trap that we all fall into is we just like we have this kind of failure to get going because we
1: want to wait until it's perfect um but that's true. It, it, and I've seen that in many areas of people's life. I have, I see that all the time with people, you know, the, you know, the convention, it seems to be a personality type. Yeah, it, I think. It,
0: it, it is. And the conventional wisdom is like, you only get one shot to impress somebody. And the truth is, right. I, I don't know that you do. I think you can. That's what I was thinking
1: when you said that I thought, isn't that the, the trap though? Cause you, you, if you roll something out, that's not perfect. Are you going to lose a chance to get them back? Maybe, maybe. But I, I,
0: I think that, I think that experience is the best teacher. And I think that that early feedback is really important. And, you know, when we launched early on and, and, you know, if we had a quality issue or something wasn't exactly right. I mean, the thing was, is those people would tell us. They're like, look, I paid six bucks or I paid seven bucks for this bag of jerky and it sucked. And it was like, first of all, it was like, oh, my God, what am I doing? Am I in the right business? And then secondly, it was like, you know what? This consumer cared enough to tell me. And so they told me exactly what was wrong. And so that gave me an opportunity to connect with them and, and apologize and offer a replacement and offer to make it right. And, and I think that goes a long way. And I think that went a lot longer than me. Yeah. Then as opposed to like, Oh, well, I can't do. So I, I think that's one thing. The other trap is like, as we're making improvements and as we're like you know updating along the way, I think we get really caught up in things that are going to be game changing. At least we think it is, and it's not. Like, oh man, that new website copy—it's going to change the face of my business. Probably not. <laughs> uh, you know, probably what I mean? not. That that new package
1: design changes. Probably not. You know, and, and I will say though, your pa- I will just say though, and because it's hard to talk about packaging on an on a podcast but one of the things that I, I really do like is your owl stands out really well it's very clever the way you've done that right there across the top um and noble maid i mean i i know i'm like the question was what has not worked and i just have to jump in and say but i can tell you what seems to be working is you've got a clever name yeah and the logo fits with it. There's something about that noble maid, and there's an owl. And what do people obviously think when they think of owl? They think wise. Yep, that's right. So you've really kind of hit on something. Um, so I'm changing the question on you. Uh, I've heard enough. I want to get to this. What, what was what's the story behind you? coming up with this because that's a whole process for people yeah so if you and and nobody close with that nobody can so how did you come up with that Yeah. great great
0: question so when we when we launched the company i knew i wanted to i i knew that sort of the idea of an ancestral model of eating was what i wanted to kind of build it on and look we don't we don't eat like our ancestors did in any way like we don't hunt and gather for our food and the things like that so so you know don't take me we're not picking
1: out buckshot out of the rabbit before we yeah let's exactly (laughs) have our stew (laughs) so so like
0: a modern way to follow at least as what we can of an ancestral diet um you know would be you know our new way of hunting and gathering is in a grocery store um but we can still try to follow things that are primal animals that are raised naturally you know we eat you know, seasonally, we eat really lots of, you know, lots of produce and veggies and we don't eat all this sort of like overly processed junk, right? So the new way of eating Primal happens in our grocery store. That's where we shop. So new and Primal kind of came together for that as the company, new Primal. Um, and then I wanted I wanted a an animal to sort of be the face of the brand. I wanted it to kind of be on the logo. And we and I wanted a, I wanted a, a, a hunter essentially I wanted a, an animal that hunts, and you know some of the stuff was you know we looked at it, an eagle it felt like a little too cliche or a lion it felt like a little too cliche a little too out there and I didn't want to use like a wolf or anything like that because I was making beef jerky and people think it was dog food and so you know we kind of went down the list and when we got to the owl and we started studying the owl beyond the obvious of, man, it's attributed with wisdom, you know, and, and that sort of concept beyond that, it's one of nature's perfect predators and it lives. They are amazing. They, they live on six of our seven continents. Um, they have a wildly diverse diet. They hunt, they gather, they can eat just about anything. So they, they're adaptable, you know, they're omnivores. Um, and, uh, and they have, perfect eyesight they have silent flight they have razor sharp talons, and they are completely and so i thought man this is nature's perfect predator and it's also associated with like wisdom and i'm like oh we have to do this. so the owl was just like we had to do it so we launched the owl with the new primal and as we evolved the company and launched into a new category over into sauces and seasonings i didn't want to call my ketchup primal but i wanted to keep the owl and so we just adjusted the owl a little bit and we kind of came up with the entirely new name. Now, Noble Maid started with 300 different names. They got whittled down to five that we liked. And those five went to lawyers to make sure that we could protect them um, in a trademark situation. And it boiled down to two that we could actually protect Protect, and Noble made won. And um, and so I, I know, love it. I just thought it really spoke to, you know, what was inside the the. the the jar itself. And, and, um, you know, we wanted to convey that these products are made with integrity and they're made with the cleanest, uh, ingredients possible. And, um, I thought that was, you know, in the word noble and then the owl, I just think kind of tells that story about wisdom and tells that story about, you know, um, you know, we have this tagline on there that you, you mentioned, you know, you are what you eat, choose wisely. And, um, and so, you know, we are yep. giving people the choice to, to
1: try And something wisely made and, with noble ingredients. And better. That's right. So anyway, yeah. there you well, go. The, the thing the thing about the owl too, it's kind of a, it's symbolic, almost metaphoric for this stealth takeover of the category. <laughs> They're not going to know what hit them.
0: <laughs> you know, I really like that. I'm going to take that. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but you know, I I like that even better. Look, man, you know, there's these big legacy brands that have been around for a long time. I mean, there, there are certain things that they do really, really well. Um, and then there are certain things that I just think uh, they're failing the consumer. And so I think we can do better. And so that's what, that's why we exist is to give the consumer something different and better.
1: Hey, Jason, before we go, I need to ask you, I've seen all over socials, you've got this new, it, it just looks amazing, uh, Sloppy Joseph. <laughs> what uh, What's the story behind this new product that you've come out with? It looks like it's a, it's a new take, you know, on... The Sloppy Joe, what's the story? What's the history behind it? Why did you decide to get involved with Sloppy Joseph? Well, number one,
0: you know, it was kind of a World War II invention. It was like, how do we how do we make meals go further? And so it was like, you know, you took the ground beef, you mixed it with some tomato sauce, essentially, and you spread it out and you put that on a sandwich and you could spread it out a little further, you know. Uh, and so it was kind of this World War II kind of rationing moment and people would make it at home. Um, but, uh, you know, there's two sort of then Genesis statements of like this guy in Iowa who was a chef at this restaurant would mix like tomato sauce and vinegar and some spices in with the ground beef and put it on a sandwich. Um, and at the same time, Ernest Hemingway was riding and drinking at this bar down in Key West owned by a guy named Jose. And it was this dirty bar that the floor was always wet and gross. And so he started calling the, the Ernest Hemingway started calling this guy's bar sloppy joes because you know his name was jose he was joe and he was like and your bar is sloppy is sloppy joe bar you know and um and so there's an argument on where was the like where did that where did the name come from it's with, yeah it's between one of those two and then um and then in the 1960s uh hunts who owns manwich Started making the manwich product in cans uh, and really commercialized this this you know sloppy Joe
1: sandwich. Yeah, but you've we've got yours. It's, it's funny though. It's called um, sloppy Joseph. <laughs> that's right. Because you know we're elevating
0: him a little bit. You know Joe is now you're Joseph, elevating you know?
1: Joe. That's right. Yeah, that's
0: right. So you know it. it wh- I was just floored when I went to the store. I'm like, you know, I'm, I haven't had one of these since I was a kid. And I'm like, I'm going to make sloppy joes for my kids. And man, which is the only product on the shelf. It's the only option. And I looked in that can and they use, not only do they use corn syrup, but then they also use high fructose corn syrup. So they have two versions of corn syrup in this thing and some other stuff, but those two alone. And I went, man, there's 60 grams of sugar in a can of this stuff. And I go, surely we can do better.
1: So if I'm th- doing the math, that's like, a bunch of
0: a, a bunch of glazed you, donuts Yeah, six donuts and a can of sauce before you even add the bread and anything else and it's like can we do better and look there's natural sugars and tomatoes right there's natural sugars like in, in some of that stuff but i'm like like what if we just took out the corn syrup and just you know use the original sort of recipe which was just tomatoes and vinegar and spices and you know if you need to sweeten it add some like and we, we usually add like pineapple juice if we need to add like a, if we need to balance the vinegar and the acidity, we just use like a pineapple oh, juice or an apple juice and it kind of balances out some of the the vinegar sometimes. Um, and that's OK. Like balancing food is fine. But like just to your point earlier, like just engineering the palate to like want to taste this like overly sweetened thing Uh, And it takes about a month. Usually it takes about 30 days for people to kind of detox from sugar to reset their palate. Then they realize how sweet everything is. I.E. that's
1: the whole 30 diet. That's right. Well, if someone wanted to go out and either try this or even maybe – Maybe becoming an ambassador or an affiliate, what's the best way for them to kind of reconnect in with, with you, Jason, and your company? I mean, connect with us on social media, on Instagram or on TikTok
0: or on Facebook. I mean, at The New Primal or at Noble Maid. Um, you know, we're on both and uh, we have social media managers and ambassador managers that are, that are there ready to answer the requests or the comments or the messages. We respond to everything. So you know, it's a it's sort of an internal rule of ours. If you send us a message, we're responding to you. If you comment on something, we're responding to we're responding to it. Um, so you know, there's a real human there. There's a real human that is a full time employee of the company uh, who lives and breathes this stuff every day. Who's going to there you go? So it's you, not bro.
1: Chat GPT responding. Nope, absolutely not. Awesome, Jason. This has been it's been awesome. Been awesome. Great samples. Loved them. And uh, I look forward to getting out and trying that this new combination because I've got the barbecue sauce and I've got the buffalo. I'm just gonna have to start mixing those things up and mix start, it up. You can use it as it on a some dipper.
0: Some you can grab a barbecue. rotisserie chicken and, and mix it all up. You can make a, a chicken salad with it. I mean, there's lots of things you can you can make your wings with it. You know, there's there's unlimited possibility.
1: Hey, and we got football season starting. What better time than to just in time get out there and and start uh, tailgating. Jason great talking to you again today Tony thank you I appreciate it. it's been it's been my pleasure.